Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. This episode is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy, leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. Just tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes, and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android, and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience. I had the pleasure of talking with Kurt Fleschner today. He was a special agent uh, in a former life. He's currently an actor, and a very, very interesting conversation. He dealt with uh, weapons of mass destruction, uh, working with the DEA, the CIA, the FBI, and then he transitioned to the private sector, uh, working for companies such as BAE Systems, and then he became an actor, and he also consults uh, for law enforcement, the correct law enforcement techniques on films. Really interesting conversation. I think everyone will enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Working Experience. The Working Experience. Ninety-three North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Johnny, that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my chicken? Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. God, what's that? He was living his toenails at the desk. Hey everyone, uh, and thank you for joining us on this episode of The Working Experience. We are here with Kurt Fleischner, 
who is, in a former life, he was a special agent, and now he's an actor. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us on The Working Experience. Can you give our listeners a brief bio? Uh, sure. Well, my name is Kirk Flashner, and I graduated from Michigan State University with a majoring in international relations policy. Um, I was a federal agent for 27 years, first as an OE, as an ATF agent for um, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in Detroit, and then as an OE agent, which is part of the Department of Commerce as the Office of Export Enforcement. After that, um, I was a contractor for the government doing intelligence and IT work, and now I'm a professional actor, and I also am a law enforcement technical advisor for film, television, and other media productions. Awesome. And where, so where are you based? I'm based in the Washington, D.C. area. And did you grow up in that area? No, I, I grew up in Michigan, um, in the northwest suburbs of Detroit. Um, I came from a, a, a normal family. We were... The only the only unusual thing is we were we were well off until my father lost his business, um, the senior Ooh. my senior year of high school, and um, I had to go to work. I had to leave private school, and go back to work, and that's when I started working almost every day. Oh wow! What what kind of business did he own? He had an auto parts business. He he made let's just say he made a bad deal, <laughs> and he lost the business. Oh geez, that's terrible. That must have yeah. been pretty traumatic. How many well, brothers and sisters? I, I had I have two uh, brothers. You know, it was traumatic. But the good news was that I really hated going to that private school. And the the silver lining in that dark cloud was the fact that I didn't have to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> so so then so that happens, and you have to get a job. Was that your first job? No, no, it wasn't actually. My my first job was when I was about 14 years old. My next door neighbor had his own photo processing lab in his basement. He was a professional photographer. He took pictures of kids' sports teams. You know, you have a kid in a, a baseball team and they take a team picture and then they take pictures individually. Um, right. He did that. And I used to work in the processing lab cutting cutting the the pictures off of long rolls and matching negatives. And sometimes I'd go with him to do the shoots and collect the money from the parents. Oh, wow. Did you enjoy it? It was okay. It was kind of fun. He was a good guy. So he made it fun. Okay. And then, so then your, so your father loses his business. Then you have to go out and get, uh, I guess a job that pays more money. Yeah. Um, it was a job working in a store and it was mostly so that I could, um, have my own spending money and start saving money for to have money at college. And I'm sorry, what you went to Michigan? University? I went to Michigan State. Michigan State, okay. In East Lansing. Um, so then, so when you were so when you were a kid and you were growing up, what did what did you want to be? Well, you know, I went through a lot of things, but in high school, I got it down to either I wanted to work in film as a film director. Or I wanted to be a foreign service officer, hmm. and um, I I would have loved to. I I had an interview with the admissions officers from USC to go to film school, but it was so expensive I just couldn't do it. The state of Michigan actually offered me a partial scholarship for having both good good test scores, high test scores, and high financial need to stay in the state and go to a state institution. So that's how I ended up at Michigan State. Oh, wow. 
Um, so do you, um, <clears throat> so it was either a, a special operations officer or a film director? No, foreign service officer. Foreign um, service You know, officer. guys who work at the embassy. Gotcha. Got, gotcha. So then what did you major in in university? I majored in international relations. And um, I took so many econ classes as electives that I ended up with basically two minors. I ended up with an extra minor in econ and a, and a minor in Latin American area studies also, which was my real declared minor. Did you work in college? I did. I had I had a, a number of jobs. I, I, I tried my best not to work a steady job while I was going to school, but I worked like every Christmas and all summer and saved all the money. I mean, when I first started out, I my first job, uh, the first Christmas I was at college was I was a jumper on a UPS truck. So yeah. I was the I was the extra guy that ran off and made the deliveries while the driver went from house to house. That's funny. And uh, then I had a summer job actually for the water department. And this was one where, you know, how you talk about people digging ditches. Well, we really did. We we went around all summer and we raised um, manholes that were buried all over new subdivisions up to grade. What they do is they would put in the they put in the sewer lines and then they'd come in and they would cover everything in um, topsoil. So mm -hmm. we had to go around with the mag with the with the um, metal detector wand and a probe, and we would find where the manholes were buried. We would dig them up. We would take a sledgehammer and we'd break the bolts off of the ring that, that the that the manhole was on. And then we'd pick the whole cast iron ring up in the manhole. We'd build a round brick wall. We'd put the we'd put the uh, ring back, cement it in, cover it with with topsoil again and sod. And all of a sudden, somebody would have a manhole in their backyard, and they'd get very upset. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, that sounds like uh, back-breaking work. What, it was what, hard. It was hard. I mean, did you enjoy it? Or I, I did. And and um, we did a few other things during the summer. Um, my grandfather was a master plumber, and, you know, I watched him work really hard. And so I was, I was used to seeing people do hard labor, doing hard work. I was his helper sometimes, and one of the reasons they hired me is because I had a little bit of plumbing experience, and that came in in handy for a couple of side jobs that we did for the water department. And um, it was a it, it paid really well, and that's why I took the job. And mm -hmm. you know, it paid for me to have a sing it paid for me to pay for the difference between a private and a and a shared room at the dorm the next year. Wow. So, so you were working alongside like town employees. Yeah, and they hired two other college guys like me. And to, you guys were just did they, did they make you guys do all the heavy lifting? Well, yeah. I mean, th that was what they hired us for was to go around and, and and raise those manholes to grade. But I had I had all kinds of other interesting jobs. Uh, one Christmas, I worked at a department store, and I got to wait on um, the actress Pam Dauber when she bought oh, yeah, a yeah. She bought a sweater for her husband, Mark Harmon, from me. And that was kind of fun. Um, I worked in a jewelry store one Christmas and all summer. And I learned how to string pearl necklaces. So I went back to school and I opened up a business for myself, restringing pearl necklaces. 
I went That's to funny. I went to every sorority house on campus at Michigan State with I had cards made up, and I left the cards all over. And girls would call me. These young women would call me, say they broke their pearl necklaces, and could they come over and get it fixed? Because I could undercut the jewelry stores by far, and I would do it right away. They'd come is, over. Is that a difficult task? It's it's a. It's not that difficult, but you have to know what you're doing to get the knots right. It takes it takes a certain amount of patience and you need a little bit of equipment. You, you don't need a, there was not a whole lot of capital investment. So I was able to do this and I was making extra money. That's how I made extra money when I was in college. Primarily was restringing pearl necklaces for sorority. Oh, that's that's funny. <laughs> so was it, was it a cash business? It was. That's great. It was a cash business. And you kind of just fell into it. Yeah, I just, you know, I found a need and I filled it. That's great. And you'll, I mean, and as a bonus, you also met some uh, sorority I, girls. I met sorority girls, which was That's fun great. too. <laughs> That's excellent. So and, then, sorry, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, please ask. No, I was going to say, uh, what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college was actually working for a company called TNT Skypack Mailfast. I was, it was a freight business. TNT Skypack was like FedEx, but they mm-hmm. but smaller. And they had a division called Mailfax, Mailfast. And what Mailfast did is it took bulk rate mail, like magazines, and they would actually ship them in boxes to some other country where the postal rates were much cheaper and then send the magazines out from that other country. You're kidding me. No, that's that was my first job. And I was actually pretty good at it. I managed to figure out, I, I, I landed a pretty big magazine in the Detroit area, an auto magazine. And we shipped the whole, we, we figured out how to ship it to Singapore. They, they had this service, but they really hadn't figured out how to do it. So I worked with a freight forwarder and I figured out how, we figured out how to ship the magazines to Singapore. And they put them in the Singapore post system and mailed them from there because the postal rates were so much cheaper. That's crazy. So it was like a mail arbitrage. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a mail arbitrage system. Wow. And then, yeah. so that company must have eventually went under, right? That still well, doesn't exist T- today, does it? No, TNT still, I think they still exist. I mean, I think they were bought out by somebody. They were like, at one time, they were, TNT was the world's largest freight company. It was Thomas Nationwide Transport. And they were out of Australia. And they owned wow. Lots and lots of trucking lines and air airlines and all kinds of stuff. I don't know what's happened to them now. I had that job for about 10 months, and I really I didn't like being in sales. I was good at it, but I just didn't like it. I didn't right. like so I ended up leaving that job. And that was when I um, what had happened was I, I have to backtrack a little bit. The way I got the way I started out thinking I wanted to be an agent was when I was in college, actually. And mm-hmm. I what I had an interview with the DEA to be an agent. And for for strange reasons, they 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 ended up not taking me. It was it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with my my grade point was like, you know, seven one hundredths of a point or something too it was like some infinitesimal amount too low for their standards really <laughs> take me and i went to career counseling and my career counseling was a ex-irs i think like a revenue agent or something he would he decided to stop being a revenue agent and go back to learn counseling and he told he told me to take the treasury agents examination that you didn't have to have any more than a college you just needed a college degree basically and right. 
you as long as you passed and you you got through and they interviewed you, you could you could get the job. So I took all these government exams. Um, I took the border patrol examination, which was kind of funny because which was because they gave you a fair amount of time. And I did the whole exam in half of the allotted time. And I went to turn it and I went to turn it in. And they, um, the proctor looked at me. Says, "Are you sure?" I said, "Oh yeah, I, you know, right, it was right. easy." Right. <laughs> the treasury's exam was hard. Um, they made they they gave you a photograph of, actually, it was like Fifteenth and K Street in Washington D.C. And they they told you to concentrate and remember everything you could about it. And they give you like ten minutes to look at it. And they took it away from you. And then they they asked they gave you a test on what you saw. Right. And details of the picture. And then they gave you a picture of an office scene. And they gave you another 10 minutes. And then they took it away and they gave you a half-hour math examination. Wow. And then, they gave, and, then they, and then they gave you a test on what you saw in the picture. Jeez, I, that is difficult. I, and then you went on from there. There was, there was, there were, it went on for And an they, would, they would ask you, like, specific details within that picture? Yes. And... Oh. Then there, there were other, there was a psych exam in there. There was a couple more examinations. It, it, it was, I think it was about five or six hours that exam took. Oof. And, but I passed and I got a board interview in the Detroit district office, of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. And they asked me all kinds of questions, including wild one was, uh, well, how did I feel about the idea of having to shoot someone? Right. And, you know, the answer I gave, I thought for a minute, and the answer I gave him was, you know, I'm not looking forward to it, but I, I think I could do it if I had to, which right. evidently. And have, have, have you ever uh, previously, had you ever hunted, handled a gun before then? No, that was the funny part about it. Until I became an ATF agent, I never shot a gun. Wow. And the first time I shot a gun was actually into a water test barrel to test the first weapon of the first person I arrested. To make sure it was really a gun, to make sure it functioned. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't even shoot at anything. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. And so but, you so you take the test. So you obviously you 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 pass the test, right? Right. And then do you go into training? Ago. Yeah. Um. Well, I didn't go to training right away. There they had hired so many agents that there was a huge backlog in training, and I got hired in October. And I didn't go to training until the next April. So, so, so I'm sorry. How old are you at this point? Like in your early twenties? Um, I'm in my early twenties. Okay. I didn't go to training until the next April, but I did all kinds of things in between. Things they probably wouldn't let agents do now without training. I mean, I was out um, on surveillance in cars by myself. Um, I'd already arrested somebody. Oh, so you're so you're physically on the job. Oh yeah. Oh, without the, training. The the second was it the second <laughs> or third day that I was that I was an ETF agent. I was on surveillance of a guy who ran an arson ring. I was sitting in a in a van with dark windows. They said to you, they said to me, do you, do you know how to uh, do you know anything about photography? I said, yeah, I used to work for a photographer. So I actually learned how to how to handle a camera, how to load a camera when I worked for the guy who made who did the the kids photos so right. they gave me a telephoto they gave me a camera with a telephoto lens and a van with curtains and i took evidentiary photos by like my second or third day on the job 
Are you solo? Yeah, I was. I mean, there were oh other, my. there were other, there were other agents on surveillance in the same place, but I was in the van by myself. That's unbelievable. So they you, let they literally threw you in the fire. It was, it was fun. You know, I, I had, I known, I knew no better, and you know, it was great. I went to work as an agent like right away. Did they issue you a firearm right away, I, or I didn't have a firearm. Matter of fact, I didn't have a firearm until I got back from training. Mm. Till I got back from the first set of training, I, I went through um, 16 weeks of training. The first eight weeks were were in April of that. Of and that where point. was where, sorry to interrupt? Where was the training? Where was uh, the, the training? Facility? Was the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia, which is just north of Jacksonville, basically. It's in okay. the southern end of coastal Georgia. So I went to criminal investigator school for eight weeks, starting that April. I came home. For the summer, for my summer vacation at home, I worked on a wiretap all summer with the DEA. Wow. I sat in a wiretap room listening to the phone calls. And then in like... And so, so that was drug enforcement. Was that like a drug, was, drug kingpin kind of deal? Yeah, well, it was, it was a guy who was supposed to be a drug kingpin. What a kingpin he was, I'm not sure. But we they had, a, they had you know, several wiretap machines going and they had 24 hour surveillance uh, 24 hour monitoring and there were days when i would work all day or I, they they had like an undercover they had a basic undercover class um during that training that i went to so i would work for eight hours go home and sleep for three or four hours and then i would come back and do the wire and sit on the wiretap all night so you're so you're listening to a live wiretap and then yeah, just yeah all kinds of crazy stuff that you have to minimize. You don't just listen to it. You turn it on and off. When they stop really? talking about the crime, you turn you turn the the speaker off. You turn the taping off. Why why is that? Because it's it's a it's what they call the minimization rule. Oh, so you, to protect some level of privacy? Or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have it's got to, They've got to be talking about the crime. But you, even with that, you still end up hearing all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. Because they get at one second, they could be talking about the crime. The next second, they talk about going to get milk and eggs. Yeah. So you, you, you end up flipping it on and off. You turn it off for a minute, turn it back on, see if they're talking about the crime again. If they're not, you turn it off again. And this went on for, I don't know, just a, a few months. I went back to I went back to school. I went back to to Georgia again to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center again for ATF agent school. And then I came home and um, I started working as an agent again. And I was a I was an arson explosives investigator primarily. I, I worked bomb scenes. I actually worked a serial bombing in Detroit where they had wow. seven incidents. And um but I, but I also um, was in a group where they did work on uh, bad gun dealers, and that's that was sort of my my big undercover work. I did other too, but my big undercover work was actually the the my first time out of the box working undercover. Um, I I got a we used to go to gun shows and just wander around and see what was going on. And I was talking with this guy, and he offered to sell me some shotguns. So I met him, you know, a, a few days later to buy the shotguns from him. And so, he this said, is, so this is undercover work. You're going yeah, to a gun show. Yeah. yeah. 
So I, so I, I go to, and this is the first time I've ever done undercover work. I had some, I had undercover training when I went to ATF new agent training a few months before, but, um, so I go to buy the shotguns from him and I say, and we're have, we're, we're doing the buy. And I say, you know, can you, do you know anybody that can sell me, you know, some machine guns or something? He says, yeah, I'll take you right now. Ooh. So the cover team doesn't know what I'm doing. They can, they can kind of hear me because I'm wired up, but the, the technology was not that great. And so I, I say, okay, let's go. So we get in the car, we drive down the road. I'm hoping the cover team is following me. We right. go to a gun shop. We go in the back door. We go, we go to the back door of the place. It's all it's this big cinder block building and there's two metal doors. And there's and so I, I follow him in. And it turns out the guy who owns the gun shop is somebody else that I was talking to at the gun show. Oh. So we go. So he in. has a leg- this guy has a legitimate gun shop. Yeah, he's got a he's got a fi- federal firearms license. Wow. So he, so he offered. This was a long time ago. Keep in mind that this right. was you know I was an agent for twenty seven years, and this was at the beginning of my career. Right, right. So, um, yeah, we go in and um, he I start talking to him, and he starts asking me questions, and he says. The old thing, are you a law enforcement officer? This is old wives' tale that it's entrapment if you if you're a law enforcement officer and you say no to that question. It's not true. So right, I, right. he's so he, he I told him no, and he he threatened to kill me if I was a law enforcement officer. Really? Yeah. So I you know I told him you know to go f himself. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> and. He offered to sell me a converted Mac 10 machine gun during the transaction. Wow. I had, and this is I'd all bought, this is all being recorded? Yeah. I had a I had a micro recorder in my pocket and I also was wired, but evidently the cinder block building and the and the door and the steel doors just made it impossible to hear me outside. Um, but I didn't have enough money for the machine gun. I had enough money I bought like a small handgun from so just so I didn't leave empty handed. So we'd have some sort of violation on them because we did it all right. off book. Right. Right. And then I came back to the office and we wrote it up and I, and I, we, I got, I went and I got $10,000 in buy money. And then we went back two days later and I bought the machine gun, but there's a problem. The problem is, is that you really want to make sure it really is a machine gun that it fires more than one round um, with a single pull of the trigger because it's very embarrassing if you if you're an ATF agent you go to a buy and you <laughs> and you buy a machine gun and it isn't a machine gun right and right. I so, wait, so you it, have to test it out well so the way you can te- you can do a you can do a test by pulling the slide back and doing a bunch of things and when I was an ATF agent, training they taught us how to do it and i could barely remember all the it wasn't that big of a gun guy and i could barely remember all of the things you had to do so i said to the guy i said you know gee i heard there was a way to test this without to prove it was a machine gun but and i don't know how to do it so he actually did it for me and it got recorded into the recorder and everything so there was no he 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 did the feel he did the test for me oh he did the test for you that's funny so to prove there was a machine gun. 
So, so at that, so at that point, do you? So when that happens, do the agents come in and arrest them, or do you arrest no. them at a later date? No, no, no. We we we. I left with the machine gun. We made all kinds of we made all kinds of buys. It, this went on for weeks. Oh wow! Oh, so you're and just building up more and more we're violations. Building up more case then? On them. Yeah. So, you know, at one point we went out of town and another agent played my girlfriend. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. But we Wow. I mean, John, we could go this story could this whole thing could could be a show in itself. So I I you know I think maybe I we'll move on if you don't mind. Oh you know, absolutely. So so would you just just to uh just to back up for one second, just sure. one question. So you would go would you go out of town to get him? on violations across state lines? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. We went to another state. Gotcha. Okay. No, I was just curious about that. Okay. Yeah, well, we're federal. Right. We, could do, we, could, we could go across state lines easily. We were federal yeah. agents. So then, so how long are you in that role? Like how long, where is that over a decade? No, I was, I, I, I was an ETF agent about three and a half years. Three and a half years. And what, so and what, what made you stop? I wanted to get out of Detroit. And an ATF, I, they'd have general calls for volunteers. I was really good. I was I was a good bomb, bombing investigator, and I'd go out to calls in the middle of the night all the time. And they was hard would be hard to replace me, and so they wouldn't put my name in to to be transferred out of Detroit. I was going to be in Detroit. Oh, because they wanted to keep you. Yeah, I was a victim of my own success, oh. and so so I I got a job. So I started looking for other agent jobs, and I ended up transferring as far as away as far as far away as I could from Detroit to Los Angeles to work for the US Department of Commerce Bureau of Export uh, Bureau it used to be called the Bureau of Export Administration Office of Export Enforcement now it's called the Bureau of Industry and Security and so I went to Los Angeles and I became an export enforcement agent wow better weather huh better weather you know Los Angeles was a difficult place to live but that's also another story for another day. Oh, but well, I, I've, uh, I love LA. I have, uh, I've gone out there multiple times for business and for shoots. I love visiting LA, uh, living in LA. Yeah. I yeah. could, I could do without. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a tough place to live, but I, you know, I, it was an interesting job. We covered multiple States. I ended up getting involved in a big case just a few months after I got there with the um, big, it was a big mainframe computer system. You remember this was a long time ago that cost over a million dollars. And it was bought by this Iranian guy. And first he tried to get an export license to sell it to Iran because you could, at the time, you could still get an export license for things to Iran. He was denied. So he got an ex he tried to get an export license to send it to France. Mm -hmm. And he so was, was also like a, denied. Was this like a supercomputer? Yeah, well, it was a was a big it was a what they call a risk. I think it was called the IBM RISC six thousand system. At the time, you know, this was a long time ago. the The hard drives were the size of refrigerators, and wow. this this case ended up being on Frontline and on Pan and, and the BBC Panorama. And wow. that what they were going to probably do with it, they were going to send it to Iran, and we figured they were going to probably use it for um, nuclear modeling, huh. and. We we ended up we 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 seized the computer. They tried to they tried to export the computer to France anyway, and they they sent it. They built a a special room for it with raised floors and air conditioning. It cost them a hundred thousand dollars, 
It was in the room a total of two days. On New Year's Eve, they called the freight forwarder and told them that they wanted to ship the whole thing to France. Wow. And the, the, the freight forwarder called me I, on New Year's Eve. I told him that he said, I've got the whole system here. I said, it is officially detained. We'll be with the pay. We'll be, we'll be over with the, te- the detention paperwork first thing in the morning on January 2. He said, wow. it's fine. It, was, it wasn't going anywhere because they hadn't scheduled it for a flight yet. Wow. So it turned out to be a big case. The, we had a good export control case. Unfortunately, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles decided that they wanted to prosecute it as a wire fraud. And it was thrown out in the middle of the trial. Really? The guys, the guys were acquitted. But even, even with the worst news, um, in the end, we ended up civilly seizing the computer system. And it ran the U.S. Export Control System database for many, many years. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so. That's so. Fu- oh, so, so it was confiscated. Yeah, we. we There's a lower level of proof for civil things, so we had way more than enough proof that it was probably going to be sent to Iran. Right. So we we civilly we 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 civilly seized it. Wow. And we used that's it. crazy. For years, that that computer was used to run the export control database. <laughs> so this must have been like in the. This was early in the nineties. Yeah, it was oh, in the nineties. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I'm I'm old enough to remember um, massive uh, computer systems. Um, I worked in uh, I worked on Wall Street, and I I worked in media too, and I remember, you know, computers mainframes being these massive i remember like you know a, a hard drive being the size of a desk and it would be like three gigs oh yeah i mean it this they took a picture of me in front of it and we really had a it was in a big warehouse and we really had to pull back to get the whole system into the picture that's crazy that's crazy now is this is, was this a position where you were working on weapons of mass destruction or yeah i mean it was the the Office of Export Enforcement enforces the export laws having to do with dual use technology. This is technology that has both the civilian and military use. So those computers at the time were were very high speed computers that could be used for all kinds of modeling purposes. But they also could be used to you know run a company. Right, but it could also be used to uh, build a nuclear arsenal. Right. Right. Yeah, it could be used for nuclear modeling, you know, like I said before. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we did. So, you know, I worked out in Los Angeles for about, I think, about three and a half years. And I took a voluntary transfer to headquarters. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I thought I was going to be in headquarters for like a few years. Right. And then, and then get whacked back out to the field. Right. Well, um, I got to headquarters and... I started doing all kinds of good work there and interesting work. And um, I I got promoted to GS-14. I mean, I did like a myriad of jobs in the years in headquarters, everything from I was the acting assistant director for investigations for 14 months, which all the field agents worked for me. I was also the acting U.S. commercial attache in Dubai for six weeks. I was, really? I was the DOD liaison to... Um, 
to the agency. I was detailed to the Defense Intelligence Agency. I worked heavily. I worked up with the intelligence community. I did all kinds of wild things. But I did all kinds of stuff there. And I thought, but and I thought I was going to get transferred out to the field. I got promoted um, while I was there to GS fourteen, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And um, I once again sort of. Uh, couldn't get out of headquarters because they they promoted me to have this one this this job they took on some new laws and one had to do with uh, enforcing the chemical weapons convention regulations for the united states so i was the lead enforcement officer for that but the it sounds a lot more impressive than it is because it was actually only violated once as far as i know because the chemical industry is so heavily regulated so i have the only six i had the only successful prosecution of it also oh wow that's and, so are you are you working with multiple government agencies like the FBI, the CIA, yes. the DEA? Yeah, I was, I was working. I was I mean, my job was basically liaison officer with all of them. There were it wasn't only me alone, but I was one of the liaison officers. So I worked right. with all of those government agencies. I worked with everybody. But because the Office of Export Enforcement is so small, there's only 100 agents that there were times I'd get sent out to the field to do warrants with field uh, on field operations because they needed extra bodies or I'd, wow. end, I'd end up conducting investigations because they were short people for whatever reason. Right. So I never lost my hand in field work really either because I did this all along until like the last couple of years I was an agent. Wow. Now, did you enjoy being at headquarters and kind of in an administrative role, even though you well, were still kind of going in the field? Yeah, I really, I really, it, it wasn't, it, it, it was, a, it was okay. I mean, being an agent is, I, I raced sailboats for a long time. I was, a, I was a crew on sailboat, racing sailboats. And racing sailboats is like, there's minutes of pandemonium and excitement laced with hours of boredom. And this is right. the same whether you're a field agent or a headquarters agent, as you get to do interesting things sometimes, but there's a lot of stuff that isn't interesting. You you end up writing a lot. As a field agent, you end up writing a lot of reports. Right, right. And there's a you know, there's a lot of sitting around, you know, going surveillance, there's a lot of sitting around watching nothing for hours. And, you know, it's the same thing in headquarters. I mean, I had interesting assignments and then I had not so interesting assignments. Right, right. So you know, it's it's funny because, and and we'll get into this in a bit. The fact that you're you're currently an actor and the transition to that, but it's it's the same thing that you know people think it's such a glamorous lifestyle on set on location, but it's a whole lot of waiting. Yeah, and, and a then, whole lot of rep- and a whole lot of repetition. And a whole lot of repetition. It's really not glamorous no, at it's all. Not. It's very monotonous. You know, you'd be a 12, 14 hour day, especially for talent. You're you're literally sitting around and then it's like, okay, here's our here's our 10 minute window. And then you go back to your trailer and you wait again for the next setup. Yep. Yep. That's that's how it is. It's it's fun stuff. You know, but I I, but I can appreciate it and I don't mind it probably because I I I said on so much surveillance from time to time. Yeah, 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 you've, you've gotten trained. You got used to it. So, you know, you get used to this sort of thing. Okay, so so you're in, um, so you're in their government job, and then you eventually leave 
that position to go into the private sector. Yeah, I retire. Oh, you retire? Oh, because is it 20 years? Yeah, I, it's, it's whether it, agents can retire whether they have 20 years, if they have 20 years in service, if they're over the age of 50 or 25 at any age. And I actually uh, retired before I was 50 with wow. 20, with, with almost 27 years. Wow. That's crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, when I started, let's, uh, you know, not to give things away, but when I started, Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so, so you've done your time, so you retire. I retire. Now, is there any, any idea like, hey, I'm just going to go down to a Caribbean island and sip my ties? No, I mean, that was never part of the plan. I mean, I... I really, I really planned all this out from the beginning as to what I was going to do. When I was 23 years old, I had, I, I was, my plan was to work the 25 years and retire as quickly as I could, and go off and do some other job. And I was, I was going to do that. I had a whole contractor job all set up to leave at exactly 25 years, and sequester hit. And as I was coming back from vacation before. I, before signing my retirement papers, I was literally on my way to the airport when BAE Systems called me and told me the job was canceled. So I, wow. I rescinded. I just rescinded my papers and I stayed another eighteen months, which was not what I wanted to do. And it was right, but I stayed until I had another contractor job lined up. And when I retired, I took a whole week off from work to move from one house to another. I spent the whole week moving, moving a residence and then I went back to work mm. and working as a contractor was, well, it was frustrating. Every job I had was nothing like what the um, job description said. Right. And I mean, this was working. I worked, I had four contractor jobs in the four years that I was a contractor. And I was, I was good because I could do, I had, I had done some side IT work, real IT related work when I was an agent. So I had, I'd helped build a database for the agents. I helped build a new agent's database. I worked with the, with the, with the technical team. I was their SME. Mm -hmm. So I picked up a lot of things about how to work on databases technically. Right. So I ended up being somebody who could do both intelligence work because I, when I was at DEA as a detailee, I, I knew how to do intel, I knew how to do intelligence analysis anyway, but I hadn't gotten all the formal training. So I got all the formal training while I was a DIA, the defense intelligence agency doing the, doing the detailee work there. Right. So I had right. I had the pedigree to become basically I had the resume to become an intelligence analyst also. Wow. So I ended up doing a mix of IT and intelligence work for four years, but I really just didn't like it. And July of 18, I finally just pulled the plug and I walked away from a six figure, you know, low six figure job mm -hmm. to start a business for myself. And originally that business was supposed to be advising people who got in trouble for the export laws so that 
they would understand what the agents were doing and how to right. deal with the agents. And I was hoping that I was going to team up with some attorneys and I was networking and I was doing my best. And the attorneys in the export control bar said, oh, yeah, we're interested in talking to you. But every time I tried to really get a meeting with one of them, they wouldn't answer me. Hmm. So when I started this business, I um, wouldn't got I you couldn't find a picture of me online. I I was really under the radar on the Internet. I didn't right. have any social media except for a modest LinkedIn profile. Right. And um, but I had to get pictures for the website for the business, this export control counseling business. And when I was in college, I was an extra in a commercial and I had a really good time. And mm -hmm. I said, you know what, this is going to be this is my big opportunity to become an extra again, maybe as a hobby, because I'm going to be making my own schedule. So right. I. I started this business and um, I while I had them pick some pictures for the website, I also said, you know, take a couple extra pictures of me in casual clothing so I can submit it as headshots for this hobby that I'm going to have as an extra. Right. And. Um, I did my the the business had its hard opening on the 1st of October 2018. I did my first paid extra job on the 15th of October 2018. 3 weeks later, I got hired at the last minute for a small role in a student film. They actually sent me the script 5 o'clock on Saturday night and said we're going to shoot at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Ugh. So, so I went and I did the shoot. I mean, it was, and it turned out really well. As a matter of fact, I just finished making my first reel, which is a, you know, it's a, an exhibit of your clips to get jobs. Right. And that, that first film is actually on the reel. It came out so well. Wow. And so I, you know, I started putting it for like little jobs like that on a website called Backstage. Yeah, I'm familiar and with Backstage. Three three days later, ABC posted a posting. They were looking for somebody to play an FBI agent in Washington, D.C. So I'd, spoke, I'd only spoken on camera for the first time three days before that. Right. So, you know, for the heck of it, I just put in figuring they would never contact me. There's more experienced agents around. I mean, actors around. Right. They right. contacted me and I got the job. Wow. And I got, it was a SAG contract. Wow. So I, I played. What, what show was it for? It was, it was a 2020 special called Truth and Lies, uh, Bill and Monica, or Monica and Bill. And I played one of the FBI agents basically holding Monica Lewinsky hostage in the Ritz-Carlton <laughs> Hotel <laughs> in Pentagon City, Virginia. Oh, that's and very they, funny. And it, was, it was a speaking role. So, you know, I got a, full you know, I think I, I think I saw that and I play you, you mostly only see me in shadow and silhouette, but you do see me, you see me a little bit in that one. And, but that's I, but a month. That was a month and a day after I did the first extra job and I became eligible for the screen actors guild. That's hilarious. And two days later, I got hired as the lead actor in a VR film for AARP. And that ran at the consumer electronics show last year. Wow. 
So I started and I was making, so all of a sudden I was making money as a professional actor. Right. So I decided to, you know, put the export control business on the back burner and try my hand as a professional actor. And I started, I, I, that's what I've been ever since. Wow. That's I mean, a if you crazy look at my story. Words, if you look on my website, flashner.com, where I have Flashner Consulting, which is my business, um, at the very bottom of the website, it says, oh, by the way, we do do export control advising still if you want it. But <laughs> it's, in you know, addition. In addition. But um, so that's how I became a professional actor. And I've been, you know, I, I, I've been, everybody says that I've been surprisingly successful. I, I leave this to others for opinion. I'm. I'm happy. I'm I'm making money. People are paying me. Um, I've done some independent films. I do industrials. I've done a few commercials. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And I did um, an investigation discovery show in February. And mm-hmm. while I was working through the paperwork with the, I guess she was the producer. She started. We started talking about my background, and she said, you know. We, we could probably use you as an advisor maybe sometimes on the show. Hmm. And that's how this whole idea to become a law enforcement technical advisor started. I never really the, thought the, about the it. The producer kind of threw it at you. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's sort of a secondary job, but I, I do, I have done, I've had a few clients now. I've done some script reviews. Um, I've been on set. A couple of times, I just finished doing a job for um, a nonprofit called um, Families Against Mandatory Minimums last Friday, where I was hired as both the actor and as the um, law enforcement technical advisor, and they were doing reenactments of arrest scenes. Wow! And it was really cool. They were they before they do the the shots the director would come to me and she'd say, okay, so how would you do this? How would, how would you guys be lined up? How would you, how would you do this? You know, um, we did a, we, you know, I advised them, I remind them certain things that need to be done. Like when they come to do the arrest, they have to do a knock and announce. So they have mm-hmm. to, which, you know, sometimes, you know, people, they show officers or agents just rushing in the door. Well, that's not generally how this works. Right, right. You know, it's like it's the same thing with how to how to show the actors how to hold their guns. You know, I don't I'm not an armorer, but I I show them how to hold the weapons because in a lot of shows you see them running around with their fingers on the triggers. Right, right. And that is not how this is done and things like that. And the same thing for procedures in the scripts. I mean, I I worked heavily on. I, I was it was the same thing. I worked on an independent film called Malinac with uh, Giuseppe Lucarelli from Mountain Wind Productions, and um, I did a lot of script reviews. And he actually had written a part into the film for me. Wow! And I play, of course, I played a retired agent, <laughs> 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 but it was a great opportunity, and you know, I got a lot of footage from him. For my reel, which is my calling card to get more jobs. That's great. And so getting, now, oh, sure. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. And getting footage is hard. Yeah, no, it is very difficult. You know, I got eight minutes of footage to work with. That's great. For him. So what? So what do you like? 
better? Do you like the acting or do you like the advising? I like them both. I really do. I mean, they both have their, their good parts. The, I mean, the best of both worlds was last, was last week when last Friday, when I was working on, on the set and I was an actor and I was also doing the advising at the same time. They, you know, the best of both worlds. It was the best of both worlds. And, you know, so I can't say I like one more than the other, but you know, I just like them both. I mean, but my primary job is to be a professional actor, is to be a professional actor. And, you know, if, if I get advisory work, that's great. It's a little extra money. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm learning all about filmmaking. I had an opportunity to operate a camera and I had an, op- I had an opportunity to, to work sound for a day. Um, That's awesome. These days I'm playing with um, editing that I, I bought myself a copy of Premiere Pro and I professionally edited my own reel. That's great. So, you know, I'm looking at all kinds of aspects to this and I just don't know where it's going to take me. And, I, so and I'm what, happy. So what does the future hold? What do you do? You, are you want to continue with the acting, the advisory? Yeah. I mean, do I want to make films. I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. And that's that's the beauty of this is that is that I'm in a position where I can just, you know, kind of follow my nose and see where it leads me. And, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a great place to be. And so we'll we'll see where it takes me. I mean, I I hadn't thought about doing advising until somebody pointed it out. You know, right. I, I became it, fell, an it kind of fell in your lap. I became an actor practically by accident. Right, right. So we'll just see where this all goes. You know, I'm open to other opportunities and other ideas. And I worked very, very hard for all those years as an agent so that I could be at this point at this time and be able to have the luxury and opportunity to just go with it. Well, you, you certainly have uh, a very interesting and varied uh, work life. Um, you've, you, you know, you work for the government, you work private, and now, now you're an actor. It's a very interesting story. Do you have, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. Sure. Do you have any piece of advice out there for someone who is, you know, who wants to kind of like follow their dream? I mean, was it, was acting your dream or was no. it? <laughs> no, no, it, it just kind of just happened. It just happened. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, I guess my my advice to if I if I look back at when I was younger and I could tell my younger self, you know, something now, I I tell the one thing I I I would tell myself is that, um, you know, follow your instincts, follow your gut when it comes to you know situations and people. You're, you're not going to be right every time, but you'll be right a, a vast majority of the time. And I wish I'd done it more than I did. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, that's solid advice. Uh, all right, Kurt. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and the conversation. And hey, John, where thank can... you for having me. Yeah, that really was great. Uh, we love hearing the stories of the... Uh, you know, getting getting thrown out into the field with zero training is pretty pretty funny. And then acting falling into your lap, and then the advisory service falling into your lap. So, where can our listeners 
find you on the web, on social media? Um, I have two websites. My acting website is Kirk, K-I-R-K, Flashner, F-L-A-S-H-N-E-R, all is one word, dot com. Flashner Consulting, the consulting business is Flashner.com, F-L-A-S-H-N-E-R.com. Um, I'm Kirk Flashner on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, Flashner Consulting has their own pages also on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm K Flashner on Instagram. Okay, great. And we'll have all that information in the show notes. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. And, Kurt, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.